just been looking over your resume here. Holy cow. You have been involved in so much stuff since you began doing this. IMDb records back to 1993 with the X-Files. Does that sound about right? Uh, no, actually, um, my first show as a stuntman, I mean, my first show, I think I did background uh, extra work when I was like 18. There was... Um, a TV series shooting in Vancouver and it came to Victoria where I grew up and uh, went down to the set because I heard that you know there was some work for um, extras and I showed up and they put me in a rabbit costume a rabbit like a bunny rabbit like a bunny rabbit like a pink bunny rabbit and okay. I think it was called stir crazy that's what it was and uh, that was when I was 18-ish, so I think that was 19, oh, do I want to say this? 1985-ish? <laughs> yeah, and funny enough, the location manager for that particular um, TV series was George Horry. Okay. Who is n- now one of our producers. On Universe, that's right. On Universe, and I've worked with him several times since then. And, and uh, that particular day, <clears throat> they're... Uh, they were lacking a stuntman on set for whatever reason, so they put George Horry in this car and had him jump this car into a Y in a tree. And uh, I didn't know any different when I was 18. I just was like, wow, that's cool. George Horry uh, did this without any experience? <laughs> yes, except for possibly um, the experience that he may have had on the odd weekend now and again. But um, <laughs> uh, aside from that... Uh, yeah, uh, that's how I um, became familiar with George Horry, but uh, I re-met him again several years later uh, when I was a stunt coordinator on on one of um, one of the projects that he was producing, actually. Wow. Small world. Yeah. Well, in the film industry, especially out here in the West Coast, it's, it's a very small world. You just decided to show up on this set? Was this something that you had wanted to do? I mean, obviously... I imagine you didn't want to play a pink bunny, but... Um... When I was a kid, I mean, that was just as exciting as anything to me. Um, when I was a kid growing up, I grew up on Vancouver Island in, in, in Victoria. Mm-hmm. It's a very small town, and uh, I had no idea that the film industry even existed over here. And then when it ended up right on my doorstep, I think it was my uncle at the time said, hey, you should get yourself down to uh, such and such a place at such and such a time and uh, they're hiring background extras and and I thought that was great and it paid you know at that time I can't remember exactly what it was when I was 18 but it was some astronomical figure to me when I was a kid <laughs> and, and I you know I just jumped at the chance and uh, got in there and uh, made it you know but, uh, there was a whole bunch of people that showed up and you know, I made the cut, whatever it was, the the amount, because I got there early, and uh, yeah, I had a blast. I I, I was a I was a, in a pink bunny rabbit outfit. There was some lodge meeting or something, and then um, later on, I was in a police um, uh, precinct playing a police officer as as another background. I was like 18 years old playing a police officer, but that was my first taste of the film industry and and how it worked and and whatnot and. Um, up until then, I, I did quite a bit of theater in high school. Oh, really? Okay. And and, and was acting um, ah, in local right. theater companies. So, yeah. what, what first got you off into the whole fighting arena then? Originally, when I was 10 or 11 years old, uh, I was slated 
to play football um, on a on a local team in Victoria called the Hornets, I believe. You know, I was a big kid at the time, and and when we played football um, at lunchtime, I could like carry five kids on my back as they tried to tackle me, and I'd keep running. So, wow, um, it was just a natural thing. And you know, my dad said, "Well, let, hey, let's throw you in football." And um, most people played rugby. I went on to play rugby later. Uh, it's a more popular sport in, in Canada. Uh, football is more of an American uh, pastime. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a lot more expensive to play um, than rugby because you don't have any pads in rugby. Exactly. Sort of yeah. yeah. So, but that wasn't available to me then. So I signed up to play football. And at lunchtime at school, I think I was in grade seven. And I was playing basketball, um, intramural basketball. I went up for a jump shot, and somebody got underneath me, and I ended up sliding down their their shin. And at the bottom of their shin, I twisted my ankle um, quite badly. So I was unable to run. So I, I I couldn't go out for the football tryouts. You know, I was incredibly disappointed. And right then and there, a uh, karate school opened up. In uh, in my in where I was living, which was Sydney, which is sort of a satellite of Victoria, sort of really small town. I thought, well, I don't have to run. I can, I can <laughs> stand in class and do karate. You know, I thought that was. And my uncles had taken me to see um, to a drive-in theater at that time, and and the first movie I saw at a drive-in theater was Enter the Dragon, which was a Bruce Lee movie. Oh and, man, and as, there you go. Yeah, yeah. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And uh, next thing you know, I started martial arts. Um, and uh, in that class, because of my sprained ankle and bada bing, bada boom, I just kept going. And it took me all through school, through junior high school and uh, and uh, high school. And I became an instructor and a corrections officer. And I taught corrections officers, uh, self-defense. I kept going, and while I was a juvenile corrections officer, I got a phone call, or rather my karate instructor, my sensei, got a phone call from a stuntman um, from Vancouver looking for a stunt double for um, an actor named Michael Dudikoff. Um, they were on a series called Cobra, okay. a channel series, and that was being shot in Vancouver, uh, produced by John Smith, funny enough. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, small world once again. I had no idea. I was about 24, 23, 24, and uh, my karate instructor said, yes, uh, of course, I've got a young black belt here. He's six feet tall and about 170 pounds, which I was at the time. (coughs) Um, (laughs) More like 200 right now, but uh, who's counting? Um, And uh, they required somebody that could kick a specific way, um, do, you know, specific tricks that I was able to do at the time. Uh, mainly like kicking cigarettes out of somebody's mouth. Um, you know, he'd stack poker chips on top of somebody's head. I could kick those off, that kind of stuff. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah, you know, sort of, we, we did a lot of live performances at fairgrounds and whatnot at, at that time, and I was choreographing fights for those live performances. That, so it was kind of a natural thing, although I didn't know what was entailed as, uh, as being a stuntman. But uh, the mm. stunt coordinator at the time said, send me over some video of yourself, and uh, I put together a little demo reel of different things I could do, jumping over like seven bodies and flying sidekicks and breaking boards and <laughs> throwing people around and, you know, the usual stuff that uh, every every 
young red-blooded Canadian boy kind of thing. <laughs> and um, and uh, I was doing all that stuff, and this coordinator received my video and called me and said, hey, come on over here. Um, I want to make sure you're the guy in the video, because to this day, there's a lot of uh, false pretense that goes on when people submit resumes and whatnot. I mean, it happens with actors, and it also happens with, uh, with some performers. Um, you can say whatever you want on a piece of paper, but unless you actually see it, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and uh, you, you have to actually see it for yourself. And uh, I learned that back then. And so I went over and uh, through a bunch of the uh, techniques, the kicks and whatnot that I had demonstrated on the, on the video. And he said, okay, great, that's you. And I did some fight reactions, you know, getting punched in the stomach and the face. You know, lives are being placed in your hands. Correct. Have you had scares over the years? Hopefully no loss of life, but, you know, accidents do happen. There's one loss of life that, that's occurred. Um, it was the stunt coordinator, um, a friend of mine, on, on it was on set. I was standing right there at about 10 feet in front of me. Um, it was on a television series called The Crow. Oh, it okay. It was a TV series version of, of um, the Brandon Lee yeah. film. Yeah, yeah. And um, the lead character was played by Mark Dacascus. Okay. Uh, in the role role of the crow, and that's when I first worked with Mark Dacascus, and and uh, I was fighting him as as a regular bad guy. Basically, I used to double stunt double a lot of the bad guys on the show. And it was great to work with him on uh, on Stargate Atlantis, of course. After that, as we had an established relationship. Exactly. But, um, I digress. Uh, back <clears throat> on the set of the crow. Um, we were uh, there was an explosion. Special effects at the time was uh, not our crew um, <laughs> on on Stargate, but a different crew. And mm -hmm. and uh, uh, there was a small boat in the water. There was nobody in the shot, no people in the shot. It was just a small boat that was meant to explode. And it was about 150 feet away from the closest camera. And the boat exploded, and something went wrong. There was a battery pack that got caught up in the explosion, uh, and it jettisoned upwards and into the air. I have no idea how high it ended up going, but it traveled over 150 feet because my friend, the coordinator, uh, Mark Akerstream was his name. Uh, he was right beside the, the first camera, and I was 10 feet behind him. And this hunk of battery uh, struck him in the back of the head, basically at the occipital. And of course you couldn't see it, it was faster than light, and uh, he just collapsed in front of me, and you know, I thought it was, I thought he was playing mm. at first. And I said, what are you doing? And uh, next thing you know, he doesn't get up, doesn't get up, and you know, the, the rest is history. I, I rode in the ambulance with him, and a couple days later they uh, decided, um, uh, that he had, you know, he had too much brain damage, and, oh, and it took him off life support. So that sort of thing does happen. I've not been there before or since, and nor wow. do I want to be. Yeah. But it was an incredible learning experience. It, well, it's not a game, you know. You guys no. are you guys are doing some outrageous uh, stuff, some amazing stuff for right. um, entertainment and. Anyone who's who's there, I mean, there's no telling what can happen. So things go wrong. Of course, and that's why we're there. I mean, there's a reason for a stunt performer, and there's a reason why we are proud 
and you know the few, the proud, exactly. to be able to call ourselves stunt performers, stunt men, stunt women. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a job that just anybody can do. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just not. Some you know some people, uh, crew members, see you on set um, for uh, for say a stunt that isn't as dangerous or doesn't take as much toll on the body and they and they just kind of go you know I could do that oh I could do that but they're not there for the days that you break your arm or you break your leg or your ribs or your jaw or your skull or you die Mm -hmm. or you lose your sight or you you know and then that's what being a stuntman is about Mm -hmm. you're there so that the actors don't have to be I have great respect for the history of the stunt performers that have come before me, and uh, the guys have pioneered the business and and basically experimented all the way up till present day. And people, a lot of guys have lost their lives. A lot of guys have uh, have been permanently injured just for the sake of uh, of entertainment. And I'm not. I don't say that in a complaining sort of manner. I say that. Because I'm proud to be part of that legacy. You know, I grew up with with a, with uh, some folks. You know, very reckless, and we always thought, well, you know, they'll be, they'll be perfect as stunt performers when they get older. And this is when I was very naive, <laughs> and I didn't know any of you guys at this point. And and it yeah. it later I realized that's not the kind of person that you're looking for. I mean, I would you no. would you? I mean, the the amount of of judgment that you guys have to have. Uh, you have to have very good judgment Correct. and you yeah. have to have a very sound head on your shoulders before I mean you can even get involved in that sort of thing I'm approached quite regularly saying I could do that I'm crazy and mm-hmm. I'm like you're crazy great let's lock you up then you can yeah. go over there and we'll go shoot our movie over here yeah because I mean you can't risk lives based on someone's wide eyed ooh let me try that let me try that I've always wanted to try that <laughs> Exactly, exactly. It's it's risk, but it's calculated risk. And when it's performed on a film set, there's an incredible amount of legalities involved and waivers. And mm-hmm. everything that's performed on this set, um, Stargate Universe, for instance, um, is based on my resume. My mm-hmm. resume goes to the insurance company every mm-hmm. year. They want a, an updated copy of it. Uh, when I break down the script for every episode, that breakdown gets forwarded to the insurance company. If something were to go wrong, I'm liable yeah. myself. That weight is on my shoulders, not the production's shoulders. It's on my shoulders, unless something happened and I wasn't on set. Mm-hmm. If somebody elected to, uh, say, perform something and uh, I wasn't scheduled to be there that day and they didn't bring me in, if they didn't, uh, if they didn't end up bringing me in and something happened, then the production would be liable. Wow. Um, I'm, ba- I'm basically there, and it's, I mean, it sounds uh, like, a, like a cliche, but I'm, I'm the fall guy for mm-hmm. the production as mm-hmm. well. That's what the coordinator's, that's part of the coordinator's job. So wow. being that so, I have to dot all the I's and cross the T's on a regular basis and, and make, make sure that that's not going to happen. Specifically uh, for the actors, because on this show, there's a lot more um, actor action as we call it, involved than, than stunt action. We haven't brought out as many stuntmen on this show as, say, Atlantis or mm-hmm. um, Stargate uh, SG-1. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a much more character-driven, actor-driven yeah. 
um, real reality-based show. There's no secret about that. That's that's definitely right. And, and look at the first, first. I mean, the first hour definitely has some stunt work in it. I mean, right that that very yeah. first physical scene, first ten minutes, know, exactly. <laughs> and then the finale yeah. of that. But then I, we you get into the second hour, and it's and I'm thinking to myself, okay, Bam Bam, I'll see you. I'll see you at, at the finale. I'm sure. <laughs> I'll see you but, later, Bam Bam. Thanks for coming. But that's not up. the case, Thanks. right? No, no, no. I'm I'm there. I'm there all the time. Um, <laughs> there's there's uh, there's action light episodes. Obviously, yeah. there. Yeah. I mean, you know, they decide to develop the characters um, on specific episodes. So there's not an incredible amount of action. Um, there's always something. Yeah. There's always some sort of safety that. That's required. Uh, that requires my presence on set, mm-hmm. um, whether it's a couple days a week or every day of the week. Um, when it's a stunt-heavy show, obviously I'm there. I'm on set every day. If I'm not on set, I'm I'm in the production office prepping for the next mm-hmm. episode. So we we get um, you know seven-ish days to to prep an episode, give or take, and then we're shooting the episode previous as we're prepping the next episode mm-hmm. so it goes you know it just rolls into itself just keeps going like that and and uh sometimes i can make it to some meetings uh sometimes i can't because i'm on set and it's um just you're always going you're always going no matter if if there's a stunt light episode or not i'm prepping the next episode anyway so there's always something for me to do and uh training actors that sort of thing and that was a big part of the beginning of... Uh, we didn't know what to expect from the characters at the beginning of the year, so I just um, I just had some some conversations with Brad and Robert about who they were and just took it upon myself and gave um, specifically just Brian Smith and, yes. and Jamil Walker-Smith. There's a lot of Smiths. Yes. Um, <laughs> just took the young boys and, and um, took them out and gave them some basic training. I, I met Brian first. He was up here, so I took him on his own and uh, did various uh, training with him, uh, boxing, some trapping, some some knife work, and, and different things that a Marine or, or yes. a, a handy soldier, Special Forces soldier, would be exposed to, and just to give them a feeling. Are, are you responsible for giving them their weapons training? Because they have to know how they're how to hold a gun and fire it. No, no, I, I do work in conjunction with our military tech advisor, though. Okay. That would be Ron Blecker and um, and Rob Fournier. Okay. Uh, those guys have been working on Stargate uh, on the franchise since day one. Wow! And they're both military based. They're both both ex soldiers. Okay. Uh, actually, uh, Ron Blecker, if you watch Black Hawk Down, one of the characters is based on him. Oh wow! Okay. So yeah, that, that that's that's the kind of access that we have to to that sort of. We try to get the best, and we we try to give the audience the most realistic demonstration of uh, the technical process, mm-hmm. the technical military process. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's it's science fiction, so we do depart from um, from reality from time to time, and then take take license. So I mean, uh, yeah, of course. I mean, that's it's. But uh, quite often in in the in the sort of combat situation, 
especially nowadays with the uh, UFC, um, audiences are, are very sophisticated when it comes to martial arts, when it comes to physical combat, whether it be with weapons or, or unarmed combat. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly in the director's ear, the producer's ear, just saying, well, this would be technically sound. This would be technically correct. This mm-hmm. would be a tried and true, you know. And, and uh, like I said, I work very closely with the military technical advisors. And together, I, I did attend the, uh, the weapons training, the, um, the firearms training with the cast, just so that they'd be comfortable because I had met them previously and everything. And then I did a separate uh, training uh, for the boys um, okay. in hand-to-hand combat. So I like to leave the weapons training to the armorers because these guys also come on set and they're also there to provide the weapons. They work for another company uh, that provides uh, our weapons that we rent mm-hmm. um, with, in conjunction with our props department with Kenny Gates. Our military tech advisors are very... I, I've worked with Ron and um, Rob Fournier for years and years. I met Ron actually on X-Files when I was doubling David Duchovny yeah. back in the day, way back in the day. And uh, I think I was there for his first day on set, and he was fresh out of the military. And uh, he was there getting the extras in line, basically. And, <laughs> like boot I camp, at, huh? Oh, yeah, man. I looked at the stunt coordinator, Tony Morelli. He was an old uh, kickboxer uh, that I knew from back in the day. And he was a stunt coordinator on X-Files. I looked at him, and I said, oh, my God. If you Listen to this guy. He's, mm-hmm. like, tearing a strip off the extras, like, mm-hmm. as if... They were really in the military. Mm-hmm. But I tell you what, that really paid off in, in what you see on the screen. Uh, very authentic. And that's how I, um, I mean, uh, Brad Wright often comments on on how I treat my stunt guys. I treat them with the utmost respect, but I expect a lot out of them. I expect out of them what I have expected out of myself, out of my, my own stunt performing career. Um, I expect, and I've said this on many interviews, and, uh, you know, I'll always say it, and I expect them to be tough. They've got to take it. Um, when the rest of the crew is looking at me saying, oh, bam, bam, come on, man, don't make them do that again. Come on. Or the director goes, oh, that was great. And I'm like, no, no, we can do better. Yeah. You know, hit the ground harder, you know, mm-hmm. higher, faster, stronger. Mm-hmm. Bionic man type stuff. That's what I'm there for. And... Like, you know, Brad says, he enjoys that. <laughs> he enjoys the fact that some people are not happy when I ask them to do it again. Well, I, I imagine that you don't ask them to do things that you don't think they're capable of doing. I mean, Correct. You, you only push sure. them as far as is reasonable, I'm sure. <laughs> well, well, no, I, um, I, I do push them past their limits uh, okay. quite often. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I am a very good judge of character. I'm, I'm a very good judge of what physically and mentally I can get out of a performer, whether it be an actor or a stuntman mm-hmm. or a stuntwoman. Quite often, I can see things about themselves that they don't see. Okay. And I, can, I have the ability to, to get them to perform things that they never thought they could do. I was, as, as I said in, in the history portion of this conversation um, 
I, I ended up uh, teaching at at my instructor's karate school, and, and I, you know, before just before I got into stunts, and I was an instructor on a regular basis, and so you just learn to read. Aside from being a martial artist, you learn to read your opponent, but as a teacher, you learn to read your students and know when to push them, when not to push them, how far you can push them, what their limits are, what they're capable of, that sort of thing. And uh-huh. and it's really transferred into the film industry, you know, working with actors. Uh, as you've seen previously with other actors, uh, Jason Momoa, uh-huh. Rachel Luttrell, you know, and, and look how far we've pushed Chris Judge in the last couple of years and some of the fight sequences that he, you know, um, was able to accomplish. Oh, I know. I... I watched Talion the other day and it was dirty it was bloody yeah, exactly. man exactly <laughs> exactly thank you that was me going uh, more blood more blood <laughs> I'm standing right there and, and I've always done this I've um, I work very closely with the makeup department and you can't have a fight without blood mm-hmm. you know there's just it has to be realistic and I've been on a lot of shows where you know it's um uh, you know, it's a kid's show or whatever, so you have to be, you know, respectful to that and, and you have to back off or not have any blood at all. But I've had, you know, I've choreographed huge fight sequences where nobody bleeds before and because of the network or, or whatever. Yeah. But it's very important if you want the fight sequence to be authentic, if you want it to look real, people bleed. It's just mm-hmm. we're made of, you know, skin and flesh and muscles and uh, there's blood inside us and it comes out <laughs> when... When the skin gets uh, split, there's something underneath there, and, and it comes out. And and um, and the guys this year, uh, Brad and Robert, all, all the directors, everybody has been really on board with with that. And and as I said, I work very closely with this year. Our makeup artist is Favon Schroeder, and uh, she's very detailed and wants you know wants everything to be exactly right. And we work very closely together. Sometimes I attend her meetings. Sometimes she attends mine. If there's a fight sequence coming up, so we can discuss, you know, okay, after this fight sequence, what's going to happen in the fight? What would happen? Where would they get cut? Would they get cut? Things that I've seen, you know, in 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 my travels <laughs> as a fighter and when I used to compete as, as a kickboxer as well, um, there's just certain things that happen when you get punched in the face yeah. a certain way if you get punched in the cheekbone and certain people have higher cheekbones so they're more likely to get you know split their cheekbone open um, ah. all sorts of little things like that 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 people aren't aware of that actually um, go on behind the scenes that we actually have to discuss obviously because you don't want you know like I said when there's a fight people bleed mm-hmm. it's, just, uh, it's not for the squeamish a realistic fight scene is not for the squeamish. And if you've ever, if you've ever yourself, I mean, if you've ever seen one at school or what, uh, or if you've been in a nightclub or something and one breaks out, it's that, you know, everybody's heart just starts pounding immediately. Uh-huh. Fight or flight kicks on. Exactly, exactly. And uh, um, going back to being a stuntman, the fight or flight is part of your persona. What a stuntman does, instead of being, I'm crazy, yeah. what a stuntman does, you have to turn it on and off as a stuntman. So what a stuntman does is learn to harness that. So you turn off the flight, obviously, because if the camera rolled and the director said action, and all of a sudden you ran the other direction, and said, I'm not jumping off that, you know? <laughs> like in Andy's episode we did a couple of years ago, where I 
did that jump into the water, you know, when Andy says action, you jump. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's what you're there for. Well, some and of it's simulated, a lot of it's not. Correct. No, it hurts. Stunts hurt. I mean, we were doing an, a, a uh, rehearsal last night. I had to wait for uh, main and second unit to wrap. I was working on both on set. We had little stunts going on on both sets. And then I had to rehearse for what's happening tomorrow. One of my stunt guys, you know, just kept, there's this particular stunt, which I can't talk about specifically right now mm -hmm. because I will give away the episode. Mm -hmm. And I'm not Mr. Spoiler. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's not, not an easy stunt. It's a big stunt. And uh, it's a very painful stunt. And no matter what, um, he's going to feel some pain. You have to resign yourself to the fact that it's going to hurt. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start off over there. I'm going to end up over there. And when I end up over there... I'm not going to feel great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not going to feel great. Although, funny thing, David, it does feel great. For real? I mean, that you sort of welcome the pain as a stuntman. That sounds insane. Yeah, see, I don't um, do any rush. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. But that's, see, that's our job, so... Exactly. You, you have to. You have to look at it that way, or you will get back into the fight or flight, and you will freeze. Yeah, and wow. that's what happens. In, and that's what I've taught people, in, especially in self-defense situations in, 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 in the real world. When I've taught some psychology of self-defense as well, people freeze. And if they're not used to being, say, punched in the face or punched anywhere or, or struck at all, Mm -hmm. People tend to freeze, and that's when the rest of the beating occurs. I I've always taught, to begin with, the first thing you do is run. Try to get out of there. If it's a real yeah. fight, somebody, they could have a knife, they could have a gun. You, you, know, you don't know, especially nowadays. But people won't even do that quite often. They'll get punched once, and they'll freeze. Their brain will just interrupt itself. Yeah, shut down. Shut down, exactly. And um, uh, part of what I've tried to train people throughout the years is... is so that doesn't happen. Mm. You 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 react or you act. You have you should be proactive in the first place and and avoid certain situations. Um, for instance, parking lots, uh, <laughs> dark parking lots, that sort of thing. But you know, go go in the dark parking lot and then at the movie theater after you know midnight or whatever. It's fine to do that as long as you're aware. Where are the corners? Where are the isolated yeah, exactly. areas? You know, as long as you're aware, you know you can prevent bad things from happening to you well, as long as you're aware where your mace is you're okay <laughs> exactly well we don't we don't get mace specifically in canada we get the well the bear spray the pepper spray got it which is a diff different version um we trained with that when i was a corrections officer actually and um with the riot team i i um they wanted volunteers i was like sure go ahead spray me that was a really bad mistake. i bet it's not comfortable <laughs> stuff no no it sucks really bad. But, you know, if you're going to use it on someone, shouldn't you be prepared to know what it feels like yourself? I mean, that's what they do with corrections officers when yeah. you have when you have the tasers. Yeah. You have to get tasered before you can use it. At least you do here. Yes, yes. No, um, here in, in, in Canada, it's a little more of a liberal system, so they, um, they ask you, you know, you have to volunteer. Okay. You don't have to do it if you don't want to, but um, in my experience, I... I just assume that it would make me a better corrections officer uh -huh. if I experienced it myself. Yeah. And uh, the same with being a stuntman, the same with it made me a better coordinator to have gone through all those things 
that I'm asking mm-hmm. people to do now mm-hmm. as a stunt performer because mm-hmm. I understand I've been there I've felt the pain I'm still feeling the pain I've got arthritis now you know uh. so <laughs> you know, I know when to call it quits yeah. you know I know when it's too dangerous I know when you know no we can't do another take I know when to push the guys another couple takes if we have to I know when to let the director know no the actor won't be doing that well, this is unreasonable or, you know, I mean, I, that's one of the things that I want to know is uh, uh, there are times when your decisions either slow down or halt production. Uh, do they allot, do they allot time for you to be able to do that? Well, we try to alleviate that from happening. That has happened on other productions mm-hmm. because there wasn't ample prep. Everything gets taken care of in prep. Everything should unfold naturally once you get to set and you're shooting because you should have answered every possible question or, or alleviated every possible problem before you get to set. Sometimes when you get to set, um, the director has had time to think about something else and right on the spot he'll go, well, how about this? So you have to be able to think on your feet, of course, but mm-hmm. usually by the time you get there, I've already encountered every situation possible and gone over it in my head and come up with an equation to remedy that. Mm-hmm. There's certain directors that are famous for coming up with things last minute. <laughs> so, um, you know, you have to say, well, no, we don't have, like, ten fire trucks and a clown here right now. Sorry, we can't do that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but most of the time, I try to exhaust every possible avenue in, in, in the prep, as I mentioned, so that we don't have to be concerned when we get there on the day I have every element there like tomorrow Andy Makita is directing and uh, it's our season finale our two-parter and uh, I have every possible element there for him everything's been rehearsed Um, any question he asks me tomorrow I'll be able to answer him immediately and if it's something I can't answer I'll you know I will divert to my rigors or um, whoever's there that may have had a, um, that experience that I haven't. But in this particular case, I've been there before. So many times. Well, you're not going to do anything that's not that you don't know how it's going to go down. Well, let's, let's try this and see what happens. Well, actually, David, sometimes, um, and, and I like to call it an organic stunt, Okay. sometimes there's that what-if factor and you don't want to do it without filming it. So sometimes there's not some things you can't rehearse in advance ah. because they're just too painful. Mm-hmm. So they'll ask me, "Well, where do you think his body's going to land after he bounces off that wall and uh, you know clips the corner of the staircase, and then uh, Joe Blow kicks him in the stomach on on his way down? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think his body's going to do?" Um, mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. Yeah, or you have a really expensive model like the season three finale where, you know, all that glass exploded in, in weird stunt doubles face. I mean, you know, I imagine you right. there are certain things you only have one shot. Correct. Oh, correct. Big time. Um, that was huge. That was huge. We took every precaution possible. And um, even so, uh, that particular stunt, um, my rigger at the time, Corbin Fox, I couldn't get him this this season because he's on he was on several things uh, Percy Jackson and, and now he's on the third uh, Twilight uh, wow. film so um, but I've I mean I did one better I've got the guy that trained him so, <laughs> um, 
I brought him out of retirement to, to come work for us. So he he actually, his name's Claude Bouchard, and he actually rigged that, um, the stunt you saw in the pilot, the opening, when you see Young fly through the gate. Yes. And uh, it's amazing, isn't it? Yes. And uh, we, we took the stuntman right to the floor. And uh. that was, yeah, over 40 feet in the air, about 10 feet high at some points, over the over everybody's heads to the floor, and, and uh, he sprained his ankle pretty bad, actually, but we were expecting something like that to happen. Something was going to hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he got up and walked away. He limped, but he walked away, <laughs> and he smiled. <laughs> but uh, that's, uh, so that's who I got. I trust the rigger, and my performers trust the rigger um, because of all his ex- ex- his experience. I mean, they've, they've, they've done so many, so many movies, uh, big, big, big feature films the guys that i bring in and and uh, i'm very proud to say that that you know they love working for us and i love working for our production i'm sure you'll agree with this above anything else i mean it is you have to have your mind there you have to you have to be prepared for for something something to happen to you i mean i i took i took six years of taekwondo but still i mean it's like it oh i wasn't necessarily i didn't enjoy the process of of kicking the crap out of someone else. Uh, <laughs> they would always say, you know, if you have the option, you run. Fighting exactly. is the that, last course. Yes, yes. Martial arts are not about kicking the crack up. Uh, crack. Um, or that. No. <laughs> martial, arts, <laughs> martial arts are not about kicking the crap out of somebody. Um, they're about self-defense. Um, yeah. A true martial artist is, is does not want to hurt another human being. He's about protecting himself, protecting mm-hmm. his family, protecting mm-hmm. his friends. If it comes down to it, he will definitely go there. Yeah. Um, but it's not like he's walking around in his life looking for a fight. That's, exactly. that's just wrong. And I started martial arts at a very young age, like I said, 10 or 11 years old, and, and um, exactly as in where you trained, um, I was taught the same discipline. And if you're caught fighting outside of this dojo, outside of this training facility, you will be removed and not allowed mm-hmm. to come back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was instilled in me at a very, very, very young age. And of yeah. co- I mean, of course, I got in fights. But uh, I was known in, like, when I was in the seventh grade, I was known as the bully killer sort of the thing. The bully killer. <laughs> <laughs> the bringer of yeah. justice. The bringer of justice. I had, uh, you know, the protector of the nerds or whatever people <laughs> All sorts of different things like that. Some of my friends from back then have met my wife now, and, you know, they try to describe to her how, you know, how, you how I was viewed by all the brainy kids that, that, that were picked on and that sort of thing. And, and it's just, to me, I didn't even realize it, you know, at the time. I, I, I truly didn't realize it, but talking to, I've run into some high school friends um, recently and having those conversations are really entertaining um, how people <laughs> thought of Perceived you. Perceived you, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, unbelievable, like Superman sort of thing. <laughs> but I, you know, I just, I mean, a couple of times I did, yes, I did get in fights, but I, I most of the time I would just talk down the bullies. Yeah. I would just get in between them and whoever they were victimizing and I'd say, no, no, this is not happening anymore, and walk away. And most of the time, they would back off, and once in a while, uh, they'd take a swing at you. But, Mm. um, you know, 
because of the last guy that took a swing at you and what occurred, generally that would go around the school and then the next guy wouldn't. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and once in a while that has to happen. It, it happens in, and you, you notice this in the prison culture as well. When I was a corrections officer, some of the residents there would be there for long periods of time and they'd be known as a tough kid or whatever, but after a while, a new kid would come in that didn't know them, so they'd get tested, right? So, they, you know, quite often they'd get tested, they'd have to reassert their authority, basically, then their their reputation would continue on for another however long it would be, and yeah. continue, continue. It's just sort of a human nature sort of thing. I spent a lot of time when I was in martial arts as a teenager, and... um very uncharacteristic for a teenager to spend a lot of time meditating and um, studying Zen and, and the the way of Zen and Zen Buddhism and looking into these things. I was mm-hmm. brought up. I mean, my grandparents, my my parents brought me up Catholic and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. But this 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 had nothing to do with that, as far as I was concerned. This was a something else I was looking into and trying to, you know, unlock what was inside me. You're centering yourself. Exactly, exactly. In fact, I read a book back then called Return to the Center, and it was, Ah. I think, about a Benedictine monk that studied all world religions, and he noticed that all the common ground, instead of all the differences, as as most people point out, right, he he went around and looked, hey, look, in India, this happens, hey, in Rome, this happens, and he pointed out all the similarities, and so return to the center being we're all part of one, you know, the oneness of, of the world. And, and I really I really dug that when, when I was a kid. And like I said, uncharacteristically, because most 14, 15-year-olds are like, ah! Exactly. You know, going crazy out there. Let's go to the mall. Good time. Exactly. Let's go to the mall. Let's go to the rec center. Everybody, that's what everybody did on Friday <laughs> night. Let's go to the recreation center and hang out. And kids are drinking beer and that when they're that age. Friday night, what was I doing? I was training in karate. Ah, Well, well, we'd always start the classes meditation, but I was, you know, throwing a thousand kicks or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had a little bit of a different teenage years, very, very Mm -hmm. disciplined, um, at least three days a week in the club, and then the rest of the time I was training at home. Yeah. So, and uh, that then, that that calmness before battle, basically, same thing with a samurai. Yeah. And, 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 and any soldier really, if there, there is such thing as the art of war, which, you know, is in my library, the book, mm-hmm. but um, that calmness, you, you need that to concentrate yeah. in the midst of battle. Yeah. You need that to concentrate. In a meeting, you need that to concentrate, so like right now in, in this interview. Um, you know, not being intimidated, but just talking to people on <laughs> an everyday basis, right? Not that, but you and I have, I mean, we've met each other several times and we're friends. Even still, even still, when you said, you want to do an interview? I'm like, uh, despite the fact that I was over at the gym, there was no way that I could have done it right then and there. I have to sit for 10 minutes. I have to Google you a few times. And no matter how well you and I know each other, I have to get ready. I sent you that text message. I said, prepared question mark <laughs> because <laughs> because you have to formulate your questions i mean exactly. you don't just have a conversation you you want to sort of know the gist of, of where you're, the direction you're going and, exactly. and i understand that and uh, myself i really enjoy I, I enjoy interviews because i enjoy people 
period. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy conversations. And I like answering people's questions. I, I like doing that. I, I, I love it at the conventions. Um, I love seeing all the people. And I've met some wonderful people since I've been on this show and with this franchise. Just fantastic. Our fans are are wonderful. And, and I really can't get enough of seeing them. I, I like seeing them. Every time I see them, I'm I'm so happy to see the same faces over and over again, no matter where it is, in, in, in London, in Australia, Vancouver, wherever it is, uh, the people that I meet, and uh, you and Darren included. It's always great to see your guys' smiling faces when you come, you know, barreling into the office. Hey! <laughs> uh, oh, gee, what are you guys doing here? Aren't you across the world or something somewhere else? And it's just, it's just so cool. Yeah. yeah, it's so great, like, to pick up where we left off, like, last time. Like, you know, we just, like, you just went in the other room for six months or something. And then you just went into our boardroom or something. Oh, there, there you are, you're back again. <laughs> and uh, that's what happens every time we come back also at work, when we come back, you know, for the next season. It's just like we went into the next room, and we come back, and, oh, hey, Robert, oh, hey, John, oh, hey, you know. Here we go again for another time. Yeah, here we go again. Yeah, it's just like a family, you know. Mm-hmm. And everybody reacquaints, and and we go again, and it, and it's great. The Zen thing has always been a part of me since I started martial arts, and then it became part of me more so when I started doing stunts because I, I learned in martial arts not to fear any man. Everybody's human. Um, just because a guy's six four and has a huge scar across his face, you know, some people might look at him and think he's scary, whereas I'd look at him and think. Well, somebody gave him that scar. Yeah, and I'm just as capable of giving him another one yeah. if you know if he's got a problem. So, you know that sort of thing. You have to look at things in a different way, and that yeah. calmness takes over, and and it, it turns into logic. And it gives you a far greater chance of succeeding than self doubt. Exactly. exactly, exactly. If if you have self self doubt, some people think that self doubt is useful because then you have nothing to lose right, and you're backed into a corner. <laughs> you know, that's how some people look at it. Um, that's not how I look at it. Mm. I, I, I just think you can't think um, in, in that particular. And that's how a lot of uh, governments run. They want their yeah. subject doubting themselves. You know, they, um, some employers um, like, like that style. They rule through intimidation. Exactly, exactly. They want you second-guessing yourself always wondering whether you have a job, whether you're going to get fired, that sort of thing. It's one way to get stuff done. It's one way to motivate. Yes. I, I prefer yeah. to when I, uh, when, I've, when I have people working for me, um, I want them to like me. I mean, yeah. they're my friends. I, I want them to want to do a good job for me. I want mm. them, if people like you, They'll do anything for you. If they're truly and they're loyal to you, they will do go out of their way and go that extra mile to give you exactly, not what you've asked for, but more than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's how I feel towards these people that have created this show and, and um, brought these characters to life. I'm so into this show, and I'm so, I've been so into these characters. They're like, I know them intimately. Yeah, and I know exactly. what each one is capable of, you know. And when when Brad says to me and says, "Can you go over and speak to one of the actors because he should be, you know, he should be this," and I know that you can convey that to him and get that across, I'm like, before he finishes his sentence, I'm across the room, 
in the actor's ear saying, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not, you know, and I'm not always specifically saying, well, Brad Wright says that. No, you're seeding the idea. Exactly, exactly. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it's necessary that I say that because they want to know where it's coming from. It's a piece of direction, and everybody's uh, got their own thought process, and they don't always agree or have to agree with what I have to say. And because that's, they may have a different idea about what their character is, is, is about to do, and, and they should, you know, um, because they know their character better than I do. But I have to ask those questions. I have to get them thinking about it at least. And um, it's, it's a really enjoyable process, especially on, on SGU, because the characters are so layered and they're so in-depth. Our producers here are, are fantastic in that they know... When I say uh, we need some time here, you know, right. we can't. We're, we're not rushing this. Uh, if we rush this, it's unsafe. Yeah, they know for a fact that it's not going to get rushed, and and we we usually account for that in in our prep as well as I, as I mentioned before. So mm-hmm. it's it's a very 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 important um, not to rush wow. any stunt. I mean, I mean we've got a great track record, and uh, nobody's been. You know, nobody's been injured. Nobody's nobody's lost an eye. You know that sort of thing. All, all our actors really enjoy doing stunts, their own stunts. And uh, you know, some of them I've had to talk out of things. You know, well, Jason Momoa, um, and he's an easy one to refer to because he's so gung ho all the time. Exactly. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Robert Carlyle. People probably don't realize this, but but that man loves to throw himself on the ground. Like, <laughs> he's so little. I mean, he's, he's such a small man. That that guy, his soul is 10 feet tall. <laughs> he is tough as nails. He's, uh, wow. I mean, he's, he's like that Glasgow, he's like Braveheart, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, he's like, he's, he's just tough as nails. I offer him elbow pads. I offer him knee pads. He's falling down on cement. He's like... No, Bam Bam, I'm great. No problem. No problem. <laughs> and, and now we've got this little competition going on on set. Um, I guess uh, Jamil has started because Jamil's heard me speak of of Bobby's uh, unwillingness to wear protective equipment. And oh, so I no. said, okay, Jamil, here, throw on these uh, elbow pads. No, uh, I'm know, not going to wear that. Yeah, uh, I'm not wearing that. Baba Kala don't wear that. I'm not wearing that. <laughs> Not in exactly those words, but, you know, this is a PG show. I mentioned that during the meeting. I, I say, well, if we do this, uh, Bobby's probably not going to wear elbow pads, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, now, can, but, you, uh, can you insist? Can you order him to? It's something I will advise him. Okay. Um, but you can't tell him and, he has to wear this. Well, uh, I can't. I can say I. what I can do is I say, well, you're not doing that unless, unless uh, you do. Ah, gotcha. Um, and that's that's part of my job as well. Or if you refuse to wear these pads uh, past this point, then this is a stunt double, not you. Yeah. Right. And yeah. and we've had. I mean, we've got a great double um, for Bobby, um, but he is just so capable himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the guys so far. Uh, to be actually for a while there, Elise um, Lebeck has <laughs> performed. Oh yeah, Th- that girl has performed a lot of her own stunts. In fact, I think I doubled her once, and that was on the pilot. And everything else throughout the season, she's done herself. It's good to know that Chloe has scenes where she has stunts. 
So I mean, it's Chloe. Oh yeah, well, there's, well, well, there's Jeopardy. It's it. You know, there's there's stuff happens on the Destiny. You know, she's not given a gun and told to run into battle. No, no, it's, it's something <laughs> that would that would happen to Chloe. You know, yeah. like there's there, like I said, and and as everybody knows, this is a reality based show. Like, it's not unrealistic. Chloe doesn't suddenly become a kung fu expert. Yeah. You know, it's not the Matrix. It's yeah. uh, it's Stargate Universe where it's real people in an unreal situation basically yeah. and that's what i keep telling people it's just you'll see a big difference in the action as well um in our shooting style you've seen a, already seen a a big difference um we're sort of going for that documentary feel um we want the audience to feel like they're right there uh, i don't want the actors to feel like they're um don't want the actors to feel like they're um uh being watched you want them to perform completely relaxed so that they're not feeling like they're acting you know so so that they can be real so this has been a good year for you. You've enjoyed yourself. Immensely. Good. Immensely, yeah. No, it's been fantastic. You know, I was wondering yeah. when they when they started this uh, this year if there was going to be much for you to do. Yeah, you because know, uh, I mean, it is a, 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 a tremendously more character-focused show than Atlantis. I mean, Atlantis always had those Bantos scenes, you know, where if it was Rachel, we'd find ourselves in the gym with her, and that always required coordination, you know, but uh, it's good to know that there is some cool stuff coming. Oh, no, there was a lot of, there was a lot of stuff on, on Atlantis. I mean, there was a completely different style of show yeah. and a completely different style of action as well, very stylized, you know, um, there's a lot of action on this show as well, but we've spent, you know, there'll be episodes you'll see, there's there's not much. You'll see episodes where there's a lot. Um, yeah. um, the action is, is merely there to help tell the story. Yeah. And um, you'll see a difference in the style of action as well on this show. You'll see a big, a big difference. If there's a fight, you'll see a big difference from any fight you've seen on Atlantis. Um, anything you'll see. It's great. I like I said, we all they showed us the pilot, actually three hours. Yeah, and uh, we too. went to the theater, and um, it was uh, on the big screen. And I couldn't wait for the next minute to go by, and the next minute, and the next. Yeah. I saw the first two parts. I couldn't wait. We had an intermission. I couldn't wait to see part three. You know, um, and I, and I work on the show. I'm there every day. Yeah, and yeah. I still can't wait to see it. Yeah, it's uh, it's got me that excited and. And I've always said I've never really been a huge sci-fi fan to begin with. Um, but I would watch this show if I wasn't a sci-fi fan. I would watch this show before I was a stuntman. You know, just being James Bamford out there in, in the world, I would watch this show. <laughs> <laughs>